Welcome to Kodachi for Three, a bi-weekly podcast where three friends and passionate players discuss the world of Wraith. If you're looking for flesh and blood content, we've got it. Focusing on competitive play, community building, and yes, going off on plenty of tangents. From our favorite casual builds to the market, nothing is off limits. So sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for Kodachi for Three. Welcome to Kodachi for Three. I'm Adam Roach. I'm Drake Gans. I'm Shay. All right, let's get right into it this week. This week we'll be covering Road to Nationals' open weekend, a little bit about the meta, and some player feedback from one of our cast members, Drayton, who participated in a Road to Nationals for the first weekend. First of all, though, we're going to hop into our featured card for the week, and that is going to be Snag. Snag is a Majestic from the Crucible set, and it reads, Attack action cards cannot gain power from their own effects or the effects of attack reaction cards this turn. This only affects power that would be gained after Snag has resolved. It is a blue pitch. It is a generic instant card, which does mean it can be played uh, basically at any time. There's no flavor text to it, and the art's kind of brutal and kind of generic. What do you guys think? It really puts a snag in some uh, strategies. I also like that it's a zero-cost blue, but that's Kadachi. I mean, it doesn't spoken, defend. Spoken like a true ninja player. Yeah, it's okay. I got I, playing like tinkering with Prism. I got really used to cards that don't defend for anything. Yeah, I kind of hate that part of it. Um, I will admit <laughs> though that. While I rarely see this card in decks, I feel like it has started to shift some, uh, as this and Chains of Inimenets have started to emerge as sideboards versus chains specifically. I still think it's probably somewhat undervalued because of that, but people are starting to experiment and correct with it. We can talk a little bit more about how that will interact, but uh, we'll get, we get some thoughts from Drayton first. Yeah, um, I mean, this is definitely in the niche category for me. You're not going to see this really ever come out into play i think unless of some meta defining reason like the main reason we're seeing this card appear is because of rift bind um as a counter to that um it does have some counterplays i think first bolton as well um that because you can basically prevent them from getting their go again by just saying hey there's unless i activate your ability because it bolton's hero ability would still trigger because that's not an attack reaction or a reaction from that card um it does mean that that particular card can't get buffed therefore can't get go again unless you block with an attack action card um a weird interaction that i thought of today actually though was that v for the vanguard this card would prevent v from the vanguard from getting its own buff but would not prevent other cards from receiving the buff from v for the vanguard that is absolutely correct absolutely correct which is a weird a weird thing to think about yeah i don't know how i feel about that uh it's going to be very very niche uh just like you i kind of wrote down that it's primarily an anti-chain uh but that it does affect bolton it does affect dorinthia i mean if dorinthia five card grip how does it affect dorinthia i, I want to hear because i would say it's useless versus her i mean dorinthia buffs her attacks all the time attack action attack action cards cannot gain damage from or the effects of attack reaction cards attack action cards though 
attack action card. Yes, weapon gets weapon around gets it. Weapon gets around uh, it. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's why we haven't I seen it played versus Dorinthia. I play a weird Dorinthia, guys. I play a weird Dorinthia. I, I get I that. I do play attack action cards, so. Right, but, so your attack actions, though, let's, let's for instance, let's break down a little bit of your deck. So, like, I know you play Enlightened Strike in your deck. Um, if you played, uh, what's the card that gives go again primarily, but also buffs? Primarily Razor Reflex that this is interacting with. So, I'm actually the... going to retract my statement that yeah. this is useful against Dorinthia. And, yeah. uh. S scuttle off as wrong <laughs> I, mean, I think this is like go ahead so i think on paper you think this is going to be good and like help you with your chain matchup and in actuality it's not and you're probably if you're going to do that sideboard tech you're better off with chains of eminence but uh, it really this is more fun to say it really depends on your type of deck I think if you are a, a gra aggro to mid-range deck, you don't want to be running Snag because it's realistically not going to be affecting your game plan proactively, which is you're trying to pressure them down before they can pressure you down. Snag's trying to shut down really big turns with Riftbind, which is happening later in the game. If you are, on the other hand, a control deck, I think that this card helps prevent that un unbearable end-game state that they can create. By, by turning off that turn. Uh, that being said, I have, as we'll talk about later, noticed that it looks like more chains are starting to tech against this card by including cards like Hal from Beyond to get around the fact that it's not just the card effect and or the reactions giving their buffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, the, the main reason I still feel like I push it a little bit against chain is on a wide turn which chain can do turn four turn three um let, let's go look into some of the devastation stuff that's been going on right there's been a lot of chain played in that even on turn three this card would likely shut off 10 to 12 damage it, it blocks bounding demogorgons uh additional buff from being played from the banished zone it, it blocks a lot of small buffs out of that deck. It for sure can be quite effective. Um, that being noted, like on those wider turns, usually with the Art of War, it wouldn't prevent the Art of War's plus one buff because that is an instance, not an attack reaction. Um, it, it's just a card that I personally think it's better suited in those control decks where you're trying to prevent those huge turns and you're just blocking out everything. You're just trying to fatigue them out, which is... a uh, fair game strategy versus chain but your deck needs to be built to do that so this is a card that I'm like when i'm looking at whether i'm putting it in a deck i'm asking okay what's my game plan versus chain because i'm only putting this card in right now for that maybe a little bit bolton but as i mentioned that's kind of like a more niche um situation but i'm asking what's what's my game plan versus chain am i trying to just out pressure them because i don't feel like this is going to help me win by turn five um, but if I'm just trying to play a more standard defense style game versus him, I think that this definitely can fit better in the deck. Yeah, I think that's very fair. If you're not sitting on a lot of cards in hand with defense, it could it could hurt you if drawn at the wrong time, which is never something you're going to want. I'm lukewarm on it. Well, like, like the reason why I think that way is this card doesn't spell aggression to me at all. It, it does not help you be the aggressor. So if you are the defender, if you're saying, I'm going to take the control defensive fatigue standpoint, this card does volumes for you. On the other hand, if you're like, I'm going to 
beat you before you can beat me. If that's your game plan, this card is not helping you advance that game plan, and therefore I don't think it's an, a good proactive spot in your deck. I'm not saying you won't, won't win with it in those types of decks. I'm just saying it does not speak to me as the type of card I want in that type of deck. I get that. Yeah, I've, I've recently been testing it. Um, I've been wanting to put something like this or Chains of Eminence in my deck. Uh, I can't decide if it actually has a home. Uh, when testing, I feel like it has more use than Chains of Eminence, primarily because it gives me resources that Chains of Eminence does not. Uh, but I run a pretty lean Dorinthia deck, and so sometimes being able to slot in a couple of extra blues, uh, if worst case scenario I'm pitching for arcade damage. But that's very unique to my deck, right? It is not really a good case for the card for the general populace. Absolutely. All right. I think the floor is super low on the card, and the ceiling's like, all right. I think you're probably very I mean, right. Like it could, it could really end up in a lot of dead hands. I mean, the the card can have value. I mean, there there are chain turns where their rift binds are getting plus nine or more, and so like when they've they've stacked all their seeds on the bottom and things like that, and they're they've hit some howls from beyond and also some. You know, Shadow Puppetry is like they, they've just played a lot of non attack action, Morven Skies, you know, all that stuff. And now, you know, it's coming in for those plus, it's got a huge plus just from those, and then you get to shut that down as soon as they're playing the first one. So, you know, they've played out all their seeds planning on having this big bonus effect, and now you're saying no. I mean, that can that can mess up their game plan, and if they're at the end of their deck, which they should be, and that allows you to fatigue them out, then that usually means you win. But if that's not your game plan, I don't really see this having a slot in a lot of decks. Yeah, it does put a lot on the player utilizing the card to recognize when they can actually play it, uh, when it's most effective to play it, when it puts that chain player in the bad situation of, do I go ahead and still commit to this turn, or do I back back off and keep the cards, take a little blood debt, hope that I can uh, bring it home next turn. Absolutely. Well, cool. Do we want to go and talk about Road the National stuff now? I think yeah. so. I think so. Uh, so let's go ahead and do a quick Road to Nationals Weekend 1 recap on the meta. And then let's kind of chat about what we think about what the meta has been, what we expect, like if we expect this to continue to hold, and if this was different than we thought. Um, so I'm going to shout out uh, Tower Number 9 first here. I didn't completely use his data, but I definitely referenced it throughout uh, making some of these uh, write-ups. So I definitely want to give him a call out here. So over the Road to Nationals weekends, I have data from about 550 people. Uh, the average event size was 33 people, the largest event being 77, and the smallest event being only 13. Um, so I'm a little bit shocked about that for Road to Nationals, being as that's, well, that's just very small, but I think that's an outlier. Uh, the United States actually only had a large event of 48, so almost 50 there. Um, so coming out on top, is Chain, everybody's favorite boogeyman, uh, hitting top eight, 26% of the top eights, and winning 20% of the road to nationals. Number two, Katsu, good old ninja. Uh, this could probably be broken down since Katsu can be a lot of things. Uh, top eight, 23% of the top eights, 27% of the wins, highest win percentage by quite a large margin. Uh, then we drop off quite a bit, going to Bravo at only 14% of the top eights and 13% of the wins. Prism making top eight 13% of the time here, uh, but winning none of them, uh, which is shocking. 
and then uh, Dorinthian Bolton making up 9 and 7% of top 8, being very, very close, both Warriors there. I think I was a bit shocked that Bolton won 20% uh, of them, but that is a different story that we can chat about later. So, uh, general thoughts, guys? I think it's interesting. We're uh, another one. Dash showing up 4% of the time, winning out 7% of the time. We're seeing a few of these like more niche heroes that are kind of punching above their weight class once they make it into the cut. They don't represent a lot of the cut, but it, you're probably seeing a player who is like very well ground and tuned into that deck and knowing what they need to do in the environment, being able to kind of go further than, you know, someone net decking with those decks. Um, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, absolutely. So while I will say that I think Dash is slept on, it's actually one of my notes that people are ignoring Dash way too much at the moment. He's virtually unplayed right now. I will say that one of the people who won with Dash is Matt Rogers, who is arguably the best player at Fab in the world at the moment. So <laughs> Yeah, he plays a very strong Dash. I think he's the one who actually made Dash Control a thing, if I recall correctly, um, originally. And so he understands that deck to a T. Um, but I, I do tend to agree that I do think Dash Control is still kind of a scary deck. Um, and if you don't know how to play around it, it will crush you um the prism actually doesn't surprise me but i did want to talk to that really quick um a, sure. like jumping a little bit ahead to like my experience i did see a lot of prism players um at the event i was at and i was not surprised by that i was expecting to see a lot of prism but the fact that we're only seeing i would say prism and chain seem to be the most played decks mm -hmm. chain being 26 percent as opposed to prism's 13 percent that's that's double percent wise going to top eight and when they're both pretty equally represented that's a pretty big disparity and the fact that we're not seeing prism win at all is another telltale sign and i think this is because a lot of prism players aren't building their decks to think about okay what do i do when random deck counters me so um mm -hmm. and i can i'm going to talk more about that later um in my when I break down kind of my Swiss pairings, because I did have some Prism games, and I think most people would say that Katsu, which was the deck I was on, and again, I'll speak more to that later, is not usually set up to win aggressively versus Prism. But again, there's some things that I think, I don't think that Prism's a bad deck, but I think it's a deck that needs to be, okay, what's my game plan when I'm just going to run into a wall of sixes? What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of Prisms are thinking about that yet, and therefore they're not, um, doing as well as one might assume based off the popularity and also this top eight percentage. The dark horse for me was Bolton. Actually, I was shocked to see Bolton at a twenty percent win rate, especially if only seven percent of the showing um, into the top eight. That dude and those Bolton decks go off. They go off, man. Yeah, I mean they are very strong. I've been messing with a pet Bolton deck, which maybe we'll discuss on the cast later. I have always felt he was still too greedy-handed. Um, maybe I'm going to be comparing my deck to some of these that we're seeing come out and win. See what uh, maybe I'm doing a little bit differently, or if so I'm you're just blocking. Not and that's where credit. you're. That's where you're making your mistake. You don't block. We don't block anymore. I. The defense value doesn't matter on cards anymore. You know, I think I'm a little prone to the defensive <laughs> nature, right? So, so looking at this, I came in and I said, you know, Katsu, expectedly strong character. Uh, mostly because I think he has the additional benefit of being difficult to place. Like, I don't actually think Katsu is inherently better than Chain. 
um, meaning if just anybody goes and grabs the deck, I actually think Chain would be the stronger deck. I think it's going to be easier to pilot with efficacy, but it has the initial benefit of, I don't know what the deck strategy is when I set down across of it. I don't know if I'm hitting a heavy aggro deck. I don't know if I'm hitting mid-range deck. I don't know if they're about to control me. Um, it's it's very, very different in how they play. They require very different tactics to appropriately adjust and win against them. Um, but I honestly thought the aggro build has been played more than I expected. Like Maybe it's just because I have a little bit more of that control-y uh, desire when I play Katsu. Um, I, I really initially moving into the season, I thought the control build would be more common. I, I still think it's the easier deck to pilot and a good meta choice, but uh, I'm impressed with the consistent and explosive power from the aggro version. Yeah. No, I think we're, I mean, with how prevalent both Chain and Katsu are, we're we're in a very, like, kind of blitzy aggro environment, in my opinion, at least. It is No, it's definitely a very aggressive meta. Uh, I wouldn't say there's absolutely no blocking, and that blocking's completely out the window. Um, still being able to identify key turns for your opponent and blocking correctly during them and things like that is still... Um, something that's very important to the game even in this aggressive meta uh but that being said i do think that we are seeing an emphasis more and more towards just burn your opponent down before they can really execute their game plan um and a lot of that i feel like has to do with the um the number of chain we are seeing uh because i mean you have to pick a game plan versus him. I, I personally consider Chain to actually be a mid-range deck, but it's the it's like an evolved mid-range deck where once it hits the mid-game, it's just super explosive. And so you have to decide, are you beating them before they are explosive, or are you beating them after they've run out of gas? Um, and that's kind of what we were talking about with that snag card. Which, which of these two game plans are you choosing? Because you're not going to beat them in the mid-game. Um, I just don't really see that happening, personally. I think that's part of the reason we're seeing that kind of conversion rate we saw with like the Boltons that kind of made it to the cut. I have a sinking suspicion that they are particularly aggressive decks that can get in that window. Right. Now, there, there's also the say with Bolton, because some people would refer to that one as probably a mid-range deck because it explodes in the mid-game as well. But that explosion is still based off the earlier aggression right it once once it goes okay now i can come in with my um what is it double lumina ascension um turn and just go to the fences with my sabers if that's the build they're on i think actually we saw a lot more raiden um raiden was the, popular raiden was the more sure. popular mm -hmm. build but but my point being is that like when you have those bigger swing turns it's all about presenting that lethal eventuality to the chain player in that mid game right and if you're able to explode even a turn before they can that can be all you need initially to lynch pin it down and get the win yeah i mean yeah. i think i think the things that i note the most from bolted is that he does force bad blocks if you make blocks meaning uh, blocks typically buff him uh block blocks typically help him out in some way and he's able to go wide whereas the other variants of warrior um, your other consistent mid-range decks are are typically one two big swings and he can go four or five similar to katsu on yeah, the aggro yeah. side 
and he's hyper efficient as well. Uh, he doesn't he he doesn't need quite as much of that like tutor to play. Uh, Absolutely. You know, while the results don't completely show it, I'd be happy to be on a well-tuned Reinar or a Bravio build at the moment. I think both play really well for newer players, and they perform pretty well versus a large portion of the field. Uh, mm -hmm. They never really veer into like truly bad win-loss territory. Um, honestly, I think Reinar doesn't have the worst matchup against Chain, and maybe I'm just crazy here. Um, but it forces some weird blocks, right? So its buffs typically intimidate things out of hand, which Chain doesn't care about because he's going to come back with his whole hand anyway. But if I present you a block with two cards or I buff my attack at eight, even Chain can't just sit and take that. No, uh, I, I agree. Um, uh, Reinar, I think, is still in a good spot. I would say that the the downside of playing him, I think that if you are two equally skilled players and two equally tuned decks, you're probably still a lot of times maybe looking at like a, a coin flip type situation. Um, maybe leaning a little bit more one way than the other, but I wouldn't say it's a blowout on either side. But you have to be a player who's comfortable with that situation of knowing, hey, if I go against somebody who's equally skilled as me, this might come down to just a little bit of luck and a little bit of gambling. Now that is kind of yeah. the uh, brute mentality of gambling it's everything. Um, you know, gambler's gloves for life. But, you know, you have, to, you have to be comfortable with that, right? Like, that's kind of what we were talking about um, on our past podcast of, like, find a deck that speaks to you as a player and that you know you can, like, live with playing through the event. Because if... I, I agree. If you're if you're gonna be the Reinar player who's gonna like tilt after you roll one, two ones in a row after using Gambler's Glove and you lose a game after that, then it's not the deck for you, because that could happen round one and then that's gonna ruin the whole event for you. I don't care how good a Reinar player you are outside of that, that's not the deck for you. And I do think where you say equal skill is very important, uh, mostly because I see a lot of people come in with Reinar and they see big swings. Um, and they don't see the potential for Reiner to play mid-range. They don't see the potential for Reiner to pivot into control and hand control. Um, and they truly do just swing for the fences and roll those dice. And that's not the only way to play Reiner. And I think if you're stuck on that game plan all the time and you can't make those adjustments, um, that I would also say it's just not the deck for you. Though I do think that that kind of more controlly, that slower Reiner deck, I think just, I don't think has the gas in the current environment like with chain and katsu being such a dominant part of the meta like if if you're doing that kind of slower game plan like you're not you're not gonna get those little value like swings because you know you got a carry and husk that'll jump in the way at that key moment or you have like the flick flack that's going to be an arsenal so the intimidate when you really need it, it's going to fail you so I can kind of see why Reinar is struggling a bit right now. There's a lot of aggressive and a lot of go wide kind of decks. So the kind of like more monotonous, like mid range controlly Reinar can't really cope with that. So cool. You're going to play the, you know, wombo combo, go big Reinar, but then you're kind of at the whims of variance. Yeah. Speaking of struggle, by the way, uh, <laughs> we have, three heroes uh basically representing well two heroes representing none of the top eight and no wins 
Everybody expected it, I think. Azalea? Lebia? No legs at all? Maybe a bit surprised that Viserai is sitting there uh, so low, but... Uh, I think I think the Sonata build can shock a lot of people. I I don't think that it. I I'm not surprised that it didn't get any wins, but um, I I do think that you know if this meta continues to swing more towards aggro, and especially more aggro with very limited null rune in decks, um, I think we might see some Viserai come to play, and actually do okay. Yeah, I mean, I like the deck. I honestly think right now it's people abandoning him for a quote-unquote uh, better, better rune blade. Rune blade. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's not even the right way to put it, right? At least perceived better rune blade uh, is that typically the, the Viscerai players are, are abandoning it, and so your, your skilled players that play rune blade are currently just not playing that rune blade. Yeah. And I feel bad for Levia, but I think she's she's just not there. I, no. I think there are some strong builds of her. I don't think the consistency is there for this aggressive of a meta, if that makes sense. Again, I, I think I think we are seeing a dissolving of the mid range, and people are either on aggressive aggressive decks or control decks. So we are still seeing the bravos. We're still seeing the control dashes, but what we're not seeing is as many of like the mid range, like the true mid range katsus as much. We're not seeing yeah. as much of, you know, mid-range Viscerai. We're not seeing as much um, of these decks that want to play play the whole game and then, like, finish with, like, about half their deck. No, we're seeing decks that want to, like, turn six. We're, we're ending this turn six. Or we're, we're seeing decks that are going, we're going to end when one of us has lost everything. Yeah. That's that's actually been one of my bigger worries uh, with Dorinthia. Not because she's not an aggressive deck. She puts out very consistent turns but I feel like she does play a tad more mid-range in the CC format, putting out damage levels that, while consistent, uh, can be outraced by aggressively played chains, katsus, things like that. Like, she'll put out 9-plus damage every turn, starting turn 1, but she never puts out 25 damage. This For sure. If you draw the god, god hand, yes, I can get a math where it would, but katsu, chain... They'll put out 22, 24, 25, turn three or four, pretty much every game. This is fair. Hmm. All right, have we have we hashed this meta too much? Are we are we ready to talk about Drayton's experiences? We're ready to get into the real thing. I guess I'm ready to be interviewed. Ooh. Oh, good. Okay, so what would you put the humidity of the venue at? <laughs> Ask him the real, the sticky questions. You know yeah. what? Uh, there was AC at this event, which th there have been some events I've gone to where there may have been a lack of AC, and so I was very thankful for that. Um, Temperature controlled. I, I actually enjoyed the, the store that I played at. I, I think the owner was a, 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 a fun person. Um, I definitely can see them rubbing people the wrong way in some instances, but I mean, at the same time, hey, I, I know many of store owners who, when when rubbed the wrong way, will rub you wrong the right way back. Um, you know they don't they don't put up with Karens and whatnot. Uh, so you, you know, uh, but yeah. Well, moving on from the rubbings, um, <laughs> briefly let us know uh, what what did you do to prepare prepare for the event? What was what was your prep? Uh, most of my prep was grinding out games locally. I didn't do as much online 
prep as I would have liked to this time around. Um, I was just kind of dealing with the fact that I'm just starting to get back up and starting with my new job that I'm reporting in for actually this week. And so between that and some other things going on in life, I just didn't do as much online prep as I normally would have liked to. Um, but I did grind out a fair number of games with people locally to try and get a general sense of what I predicted the meta to be as well as what I felt like the meta was. Another thing that I did that was uh, I watched a lot of videos of people playing what I considered decent decks online, um, like some of the Devastation videos, some other videos. Um, I don't want to point to exactly what videos I was watching or wasn't watching because I don't want to, like, in a way, call anyone out, if that makes sense. Uh, but because the, there were definitely some videos that are out there that I, I watched one or two of them and I was like, I'm no longer watching these. And then there are other videos that I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this entire series because while I might not agree with everything they're saying, I can see a thought process behind it and therefore I really like that. Um, so th there was definitely some of that going on as well. In fact, I, I listened to Fab Games the entire way down to the event, which was a six hour drive. So that was a fair bit of content listening. Um, just to hear gameplay going on um, to distract me while driving. That is why we only sent one of us. You're the only one with enough dedication to drive six hours. We're, we're both very proud. Yay. So, it, was, uh, it was a long drive back. How, how are you? Jeez, yeah. I don't envy that at all. Especially like I've I... I've been there. I, I got to travel with a group if we're doing six hours and a tournament or I'm oh, just going to beat myself up about it. I've done that. I've done the, like, well, tournament ended at 10. Better drive eight hours back. Oh, look, the sun's rising. Uh, yeah, I, I think, always like to watch the sunrise. It's all I good. thankfully got in at 2 a.m., but still, it was not my preferred time to get back. So, uh, how, how were you feeling going in? What was what was the mental state coming? Uh, I, I felt pretty good. I definitely didn't feel like I was at a state to confidently win it if that makes sense like I, d I didn't feel like i had done enough prep to be like yeah i'm gonna go in and i'm just gonna win this guaranteed like th i mean there have been games that i've played where i've done enough grinding enough prep and enough feeling out the meta where um i was like this is the best deck i feel very confident on it and i feel like i know anything i could run into and i'd be ready for it um prime example as shay and you both know back from um, L5R, back in those good old days, um, whenever we were looking at Worlds 2, um, I was on the almost identical deck to the one that actually won Worlds, and my backup deck was nearly identical to the player who came in second to at Worlds. So, you know, I, I, my, I would say my understanding of that meta was very high and that I was heavily prepped to play at that level. I obviously did not play in that world, so I'll never know. But it was definitely where I felt like I had a true max understanding of the meta. I did not feel like that going into this event, per se. Fair. Well, you did better than me on that. I was there, and I just changed decks the night before. You have a bit of deck ADD. Hey, you do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. This is not news. Yeah. You're a wild card. Yeah. It's fine. I'm maverick. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to do, so we're both learning. I'm looking forward to this interview with you at some point, when when you go oh. over your deck. <sighs> All right, so uh, we, we've spoiled it a little bit earlier, but what deck were you on, and, and why? Like, go into So, it, but... I was on Agrikatsu. Um, I actually originally was on a really flexible version of Katsu, 
with the game plan of being starting mid-range and then flexing more into aggressive styles if I felt like that was what I needed and then more into control style for specifically chain and other decks that I felt like I was going to have to fatigue in order to win. Um, then I, through playing some matchups, felt like maybe just the pure aggression style might be the right fit. Um, and I do think that if your deck is performing consistently enough in the aggressive play, it can definitely beat chains. Um, I don't think it's like a heavy, you're for sure going to beat them. There's always going to be a hand that they could pull that if they flip out the right cards from their banish and they have the right cards in hand, they're just going to present lethal before you're going to present lethal and therefore they're going to win the game. Uh, but that being said, it felt like it was going to be a deck that was relatively low tax on me, which was important to me going into this specific event because I was driving six hours the night before and I was going to drive six hours back. I did not want to be so spent that I had an accident. So that was part of the thinking as well as that, hey, this is a deck that I can play and perform well on it and not have to, you know, pass out afterwards like I would have if I had played something like Kano. Fair enough. Uh, so so you mentioned Chain a couple times. Did you feel that was your deck's biggest weakness, or are there other decks that you kind of fear with it? Um, I didn't actually fear it going into the event. I actually hadn't lost to a Chain with the deck prior to this event. Um, that being said, I did see some very strong chain builds that were built around uh, consistency being played at the event, which I was not necessarily fully aware of or prepared for. Uh, that being said, I, I still think that it performs fine into that matchup, but it if you're planning on ending a game around turn four or five, you're definitely relying on a little bit of luck. Makes sense. All right. Cool. Let's hop into discussing the event itself then. Uh, so about how large was this particular event? So um, the event had been capped at 46 players. Um, I did get to actually speak with the event, um, like the owner of the store at the event, mm -hmm. and they said that they had actually had more than 100 people called them about the event. Um, but only 40 people showed up to play. So it was a 40-player event um, with six rounds, and it was a lot of fun. Which we've noticed, like, uh, word of mouth, we've noticed a bit of a trend with that with some of these road to nets, where, like, you're having them drop, you know, a handful of people just because there were no-shows. So there's, you know, if you're feeling, you know, like you want to, you know, spend the proverbial, like, slots there, if you weren't able to get into a road of nets, Nats event, you could potentially roll up and be a walk-in. It's not the worst idea. It's really hard for me to encourage. Um, we capped our event at 64 players. Uh, the day we announced that we had moved the cap up from 48 to 64, uh, we had over 40 entries just Im immediately add to it within, I think, two hours. Uh, so we've mm -hmm. had a wait list since that day. Now, I've tried to be really clear with people telling them to call in and drop the event if they need to, but it's just hard to know. Like, maybe 20 mm -hmm. people don't show, but it's hard to say if people really do want to grind these events, so. For sure. Yeah. So, I, I kind of want to know about the tone. Um, I think 
while the three of us are really geared up to be playing competitively, we're really looking forward to that aspect of this. I know some people are looking at, can I go to a Road of Nationals? How different will it feel from an Armory event? So, so what was the tone? Did it have a lot of traveling and competitive players? How different from an Armory was it for you? Um, I mean, this was very different. Uh, it, I and again, no, this was an unfamiliar store for me, so I can't be like, oh, hey, there's Shay. I know he's a local or anything like that. But um, just from like listening to the general talk that was going around, it sounded like about half the people were from actually outside of town, from specifically the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, so I mean, if you include me, that means basically more than half the players were not from the local meta. So that being said. You know, you're going to see people you've never met before unless you are a frequent traveler to events like this. Um, and, you know, be ready for some craziness and wonkiness in that regard. Uh, I will say, though, that everyone I played with was very friendly and um, good-spirited. Um, I didn't have anyone who, like, you know, seemed like they were going to flip a table or, like, get really mad or anything like that or threaten to punch somebody in the throat. Um, you know, nothing like that <laughs> happened. Um which is that got better. very dark, yeah. Well, I mean, it's we we've had inklings on the internet of apparently that happens at certain events, yeah. so you know that's that's why. I, apparently, not an unprecedented happening. <laughs> that's why yeah. I mentioned that you know it was I actually think there was a pattern for that individual. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, but you know, it was it was a very friendly and good event. Um, it was run very smoothly. They had um, a very knowledgeable judge who was prepped to judge it, and also. Um, was you know readily available if you call judge he jumped over to your table um one thing that they did do that was a little unexpected but i think that they used really well was they rather than having the players report on jim managed it manually using slips um, and we're actually asking the players not to report it in jim and rather to use the slips and make sure both players had signed it that way they made sure that there were no like random mix-ups of like oh he accidentally hit want win when he lost and i actually hit loss when i won you know this that and the other thing now the system we think that it's good but it actually isn't and we're just moving forward uh there's always that double check going on and they were going through and just doing that by hand um but because they had a to and a judge both dedicated to just making sure that event was running smoothly it did make it go in a very nice and fashionable process um the events went it also really quickly. Gives yeah, it also gives like a record so that like if there are any oddities with like, you know, software or anything, which the weekend of these first road to nationals, there was a bit of uh, a bit of a gym hiccup. So which has yeah, thankfully no, been I think, fixed. Yeah, uh, but no, I think it's a good practice to do like the slips and stuff. Just an added level of redundancy when you get to this kind of competitive level of like tournament. It saves you the potential for you know both good and bad faith uh, headache situations yeah you really want people to trust that you're in your event had the right and appropriate outcome and that everything was done to make sure those pairings that level of comparative spirit was was held to yeah i think i heard a rumor that because of uh, jim hiccups there was actually somebody who like in a five round event was two and three and they made the top cut and then won it because they they performed well in the top cut but at two and three they shouldn't have been in the top cut to begin with yeah i'm not sure if that ended up being a road to nationals or not but i did actually see screenshots from that event um that i, I just remember hearing was, about it 
it's it's something I know a lot of people emailed LSS about, and I, I guess you know I kind of want to call it LSS as being a, a fairly good company here. Um, they responded to that relatively quickly, and they did seem to have fixed that. Um, I was one of the TOs that emailed them a few proofs of different events that see things like that had occurred. Um, kind of showed them how that that issue could be created. Uh, they were they replied within 24 hours and said that the bug had been squashed. So. Which is not good ideal. considering they're on the other side of the world. <laughs> right, yeah. Not not ideal that it happened, but they took care of it. Uh, I know they're a small and growing game. They got a lot going on. So, All right, so so you mentioned you know, you're out of town. Did you recognize anybody? Is there anybody who's quote-unquote fab famous to you at this point? Uh, so I recognize um, Brendan. Uh, I don't know his last name. I just know his name's Brendan. Um, and I recognized him from the gauntlet because I've played in that a couple of times um yeah. you know so uh, but, uh, patrick yeah ben, brendan patrick um i should probably shouldn't be saying this as a podcaster but i don't listen too much to podcasts in general but um happy to be part of one and uh you know i i don't consume a lot of like visual content so for instance like even if like i'm aware of the name tower number nine but if i ran into him at an event i would have no idea who he was um, just wouldn't, uh, but that being said, you know, there, there are some, you know, telltale names that I, I'm aware of, but honestly, for the most part, like I just treat every game like it's any other game for the most part. I think that's probably the best way to approach this, approach it. You know, sometimes if you're looking at the leaderboards and you're expecting one thing or another, you can psych yourself out and it's just not worth it. Yeah, you don't want to psych yourself into thinking this is an easy win. You don't want to psych yourself into thinking that this is an auto loss either, um, which I know some people are prone to do sometimes. Absolutely. Okay, so the the meat and potatoes. Walk us walk us through your switch matches. Don't necessarily have to hit everybody's names. I know that's really hard to remember, but what did you play? How'd they go? Well, I actually wrote names down, so I actually look at have you them. being a good I, person. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, I, 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 I practiced for um, the calling and decided to actually take um, handwritten like um, health totals uh, during the thing, which was that was another thing is they provided pads for everybody and told them you don't have to use these, but if you want to practice, we're providing them for you, which I thought was a really cool thing um, that they did that for all of us. Um, so I took them up on that and decided to give it a try. Um, it was. It took a little getting used to, but once I got into the habit of it, it wasn't bad at all. Uh, my first round was versus somebody named Dustin. Uh, he was also on Agro Katsu. Um, apparently, because I got to talk to him after the game, apparently his buddy um, wasn't able to get into a Roach Nationals that weekend, and so he told his buddy, hey, send me the list and I'll try it out for you, um, which I thought was kind of cool that he did that for his friend. Um, so I, I did beat him in the first round. Um, my second round was versus somebody named John. Um, John actually had been collecting since Alpha Welcome to Wraith. Uh, nice. And he, he had only recently started actually like playing the game and playing it competitively, though, um, because he had been just collecting it, thinking that it would retain some value and that he could sell it off. And then he realized, oh, hey, this game isn't going away. Maybe I should check it out. And so he was actually on Reinar. And uh, we, we had actually a pretty close game. Um, I fortunately was able to get him to that inevitability state of you have to block every single one of my Kadachis before he got to take off on his big Wombo turn um, the second time. He did hit me with one big Blood Rush turn, um, but 
right when he was getting to his second one, that wasn't ever I was able to kind of force that inevitability on him. Um, then I played um, Kai, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he was on a prism, and um, I would say I was in fair control of that game almost the whole way through. Now, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think prisms aren't necessarily always prepared for decks that are ready for them. So I was mm -hmm. running a total of five attacks that could pop their attacks in my deck. I was running three Command and Conquers, and I even put in two um, Raging Onslaughts for added assurity to make sure, hey, if you're throwing something at me, I can blow it up. Um, and so I, I had about five, I would say five sideboard slots dedicated to specifically the Prism matchup, and it's been one of my personal better matchups with my deck. So um, that he it was a good deck, but I don't think he was ready for me to be prepared for him, if that makes sense. Was it more aggro or more the aura uh, It was more of a flex. Um, basically, okay. again, I didn't get to see all of it because um, my deck is very aggressive, and so it tends to make games a little bit shorter, so I don't get to see the full picture of what they are. But based off how you described mm -hmm. it, it was kind of, I want to be able to flex into whichever version, which, which of the two versions is more suited for this matchup. So I'm still going to have a few auras if I'm on my aggro build. I'm still going to have a few heralds if I'm on my non-aggro build, but it's you know kind of more flexible in that way. So I... Yeah. I want to clarify for a couple of our listeners. You said Raging Onslaught for your other slot there. Are you running the yellow Raging Onslaught to hit a six, or are you running the red Raging Onslaught so that you can bypass the Herald that actually reduces the power of your attacks? That, or the aura. That actually or is a good question. I am actually running the red Raging Onslaught mm -hmm. um, because I, I wanted to make sure that if there was a critical turn that I happened to have that in hand and they are playing that you know that particular herald or they happen to have that or out not that i ever think i ever saw um i think is it humility that uh, so herald of triumph is the herald that's the minus mm -hmm. one but is it parable uh, of humility i think it's parable of humility i believe so but i actually don't see humility much so that is attack action cards controlled by an opposing opponent at right. minus one while attacking and defending yeah, so the, those, the, it was tech first that because I had run into um, some prisms recently. Actually, my I, up until this event, I had only lost a prism once. Uh, it was still a very close game, but they did have that tech in their deck where they were playing um, heralds that did reduce my attack action. So my command and conquerors were doing nothing versus them. And so I wanted, I was like, you know what, this card defends for three. I don't need to attack with it. I just need it to have seven strength and also defend for three. That's good enough for me. This will work. Yeah, um, nah, when you're on your Herald of Triumph turn, you do kind of play a little more reckless with that because that minus one, you're typically just assuming it'll make it through. So having like a seven strength card to pop one of those can be just, a, if not, you know, a tempo killer, uh, a real demoralizer. It kind of kind of breaks your brain a bit oh yeah i mean it's absolutely generic so everybody can run it um mm -hmm. typically even myself when i'm playing prism right like i don't really plan for seven strength attacks unless i'm playing against a bravo or a reinar to a lesser extent yep hence the point <laughs> uh my next round was versus um jonathan um which is a player i know you're familiar with adam because uh, you told me you were familiar with him I think it's Jonathan Wyatt. Uh, to to a limited extent, yes. Yeah, uh, he was on chain, and I did lose to him. 
Uh, he had an absolute monster of a turn, I think, on turn his turn three, that just like I I happened to draw like a bunch of two defense cards, and I was like, there are some thing, there are some attacks here that I would really like to block and prevent here, but seeing as I have all reds and all two blocks, that is not happening. Uh, so it was just a bad, really bad hand for me, and um, after that, I just couldn't gain tempo back at that point. And so that was my first loss. Um, next, I played Kyle, um, who actually, I believe, um, is one of the partnered owners of Local Game Store, which is an event we're all going to next weekend. Or actually, you're not going, right? You didn't get into that one? Uh, so I'm going. This I'm not going. Right. Shit. I, I'm only one shot, man. <laughs> our, our local. I'm Fair enough. Called shot for me to bubble out and not make the cut. Fair enough. Um, well, so, uh, but Adam and I will be going to that one, and uh, so got to play versus him. He was also on a Prism kind of flex build. He seemed to be running a few more auras than the other one. Um, I don't know if that was a sideboard decision or just a general deck build choice. Um, but again, I think auras are the right call um, in the current environment, yeah. if that's saying anything. Yeah. That being said, because Katsu gets to be so wide and flexible with his go-agains, um, I was able to just manage most of his auras with mm -hmm. the Kadachi here and there, and then um, pop. Again, I have the tech to just pop kind of almost anything else that he's throwing at me. Uh and then my last game was versus Johnny um, in the cut before the cut. Um, Johnny Shen, who um, Shay knew from the old L5R days. Um, uh, sir, you played against a good old Shen, who you know almost was our L5R world champion if it wasn't for you know him not having all of his blood in the final. <laughs> you know, I asked him so. about that, and he was like, "Yeah, they exaggerate that." <laughs> So I don't know which one of you is making this up, but um, I feel like you guys have easy to, to think. clarify this diversion because some people, both listeners and the cast, have no idea what you're talking about. So, uh, so yeah, if you didn't listen to episode one, uh, I did an L5R podcast for years before this. Uh, Johnny was one of our like kind of stable of hosts, and uh, we have the running joke of uh, when he made it to the top two in uh worlds one year ended up like one minor play mistake losing but like he had got like some kind of like respiratory thing it was like coughing and like coughing up blood at one point he's like oh, i think i coughed up blood uh so we used that as the uh that's why uh europe was able to beat uh you know team usa that year well that's he did he did joy. confirm that he he that the night prior had been coughing up blood and not feeling great um he did not he did not confirm that he was still dying while playing the game though <laughs> oh no no we just said if he had all of his blood he would have won said extra oxygen man wow but no shin shin's great people like in a game that was uh, LCG L5R that was you know 5D chess like shin plays like 7D chess yeah, no, he, he had some uh, spicy tech. Um, he was actually, oh god, uh, what's what's the blue that attacks for four that gives you an extra intellect if it hits that costs two? Oh, Pursuit of Pursuit of Knowledge. Knowledge. Pursuit yeah. Of knowledge. yeah, he had Pursuit of Knowledge in his deck, and he <laughs> said he specifically had it in there for countering aggro decks because 
you don't really don't I really don't want him to let that hit hit and he's absolutely right had he ever played that versus me I probably would have done whatever I could to block it because it'd be really annoying for chain to have five cards in hand and also be banishing you know a bunch of cards rather than only having four cards in hand and banishing a bunch of cards um, I don't know if that one card difference is gonna matter but it's still really annoying um, interesting tech it was it was some interesting tech because he's like you know for the most part your blues just pitch for blue so it doesn't really matter too much of what they are and I was like that's reasonable um, and so I, we had we had an exceptionally close game um, before the final cut to top eight. Um, and then, unfortunately, at, right after cutting to top eight, I ran into him again. And we had another <laughs> very close game. Um, it, it, both games, the way I'm going to kind of describe this, um, I'm going to go in a little bit into the depth of how I'm defining it being close for our listeners, because I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with, like, kind of these hyper aggressive gameplays but for the most part when you're playing these super hyper aggro matchups we're not blocking we're just we're just throwing as much pain at our opponents as humanly possible and they are throwing as much pain back and we're both just trying to get the other one to that you now have to block or you lose the game state as soon as possible um and so by by my calculations and like i might be off by a little bit here or there if if i don't take um one attack extra from him i'm being the aggressor meaning i'm putting him in the state of you now have to block pretty much everything or you die situation and it was the reverse so he put me in the state of now i have to block with just enough cards where i can't put him in that state and therefore he's now the one pushing me into the grave um, so it, it was basically coming down to basically a single attack um, on a single turn that was defining the end state of the game. Now, the whole rest of the game led up to that moment, which is not to like, take away from the rest of the game, but it was very close in the regards of like, if he misses one attack, then I can push lethal on him and pre I can present lethal and therefore put him in a state where he is now behind the foot, if that makes sense. Um, that's mm -hmm. how both of our games kind of felt. It did not feel like a blowout. So again, it was more felt like the situation that I was expecting of being inverse chain, where it should be very close, but it might end up leaning one way or another based off a little bit of draw luck and deck preparation. Um, I did see that chains across the board that were doing well um, from neighboring tables and other things that it looks like they were teching more towards having a stronger early game and a more consistent early game. Um, probably because of the things that we're seeing with like people adding in Chains of Eminence and Snag into their decks and that late game option not always being openly available to them. It also makes sense, especially early in this road to Nationals, because uh, so the last like, big competitive season we were coming out of is Skirmish. And Skirmish, I would argue, with the Ira decks was kind of dominated by these like meticulous kind of control-y decks and things. So really, you're subverting, you know a chunk of the field's like play expectations of what everything's going to be. And I always think early in a like environment, hyper aggression is a safe bet. I mean, yeah, hyper aggression is, is, is rarely, rarely a bad thing. Uh, sometimes it's an all or nothing, but it is consistent. I will say none of my games went to time. I made sure yeah. of that. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think that's wonderful. That's the worst feeling in Fab to go to time. Right, and so like that—that that was one thing that was nice about me playing this um, utterly aggressive Katsu was that it was—I was 
pretty much ending almost all my games by around turn six max. And so if that's the case, then, you know, if you've only had six turns and I've only had six turns, that's not much time has passed. Um, so usually I was finishing with plenty of time. I got to rest between rounds. Um, so there was, there was even one round where like I contemplated running over to the gas station to get some food. Cause I was like, you know what? I could have a bite to eat. Um, I, I decided not to, um, because I decided I would wait till we were a little bit closer to the cut. Um, one nice thing they did do was they decided to give us a 30 minute, um, food break in the middle of it just because they recognized that players looked like they were getting hungry and they figured 30 minutes would not disrupt the outer towners too much, but also give everybody a chance to go get some food, especially if they were about to make the cut and have to stay for another few hours. Yeah. I mean, I think that's not something necessarily to expect, but it is, it is nice of them. Uh, I'm glad it did occur. I, I typically yeah. prep by bring in some snacks, some granola bars, etc., with me. I did um, not do that as I forgot. Well, know, I will help you prep since we're traveling together next time. That that's but, fair. Uh, you can help me with that in the future. I, I, that's much better than my method, which is starve. just no, starve with Red Bulls. <laughs> oh, that's so just so terrible. I I would be wired. I'd be shaking in my final match. Everybody would think I was just panicked, nervous. Yeah, man, you got to burn HP there in the later. Rounds. I I will yeah. say, um, this particular event made me realize just how much. Um, so I I played in the orchestra whenever I was growing up. So a, a tick that I have whenever I'm playing card games is I keep a tempo with my right foot usually, um, which is also the foot I use for gas and brakes when driving. So as I was driving back, I was like, man, my leg is exceptionally <laughs> tired. Why am I so tired? And that's when I realized, because I knew it was a tick I had, but I didn't realize to what degree until, until this weekend when I was just like, man, I'm I'm a lot more spent than I thought I would be. Uh, so yeah, that that was something I discovered. It was fun. The Good things you learn. Dude, dude, hats off to you, Drayton. Though you had to do back-to-back games against like Shin and like those are like I come out of like I test occasionally with him in like L5R. Like every time I had played Shin, I would just come out of it like holding my brain. Like like I just. It was like gazed like a higher level of like everything, and I was like, "Oh, ow!" I feel like a good good chain player will probably make you feel that way at the moment. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, all my all my I will say all my chain matchups made me definitely want to reconsider uh, my sideboarding options. I was running the uh, belittle minimalism line, um, that, that cutesy thing. Um, I'm actually planning on cutting it now in favor of just some more consistent plays. I, I do like it for slower decks, but I would say if you're on Agrokatsu and you're having trouble with the slower decks, you probably have a bigger fundamental issue with how your deck design is laid out. Um, not to say that your deck design is necessarily wrong, but um, those were not the decks that I was necessarily having issues with leading up to this event. Um, so I think that there's something to be said for finding if, if you can find some ways to shore up that chain matchup, which I'm not sure that I've found them yet. Um, but I'm definitely looking at tweaking and trying a couple of different things. Um, I've even been considering maybe Chains of Eminence isn't a terrible idea because if I call Seeds, that's a card that they can't defend with, that's a card they can't pitch, that's a card they can't play. Um, sure, they're going to play it the next turn, but even just that little bit of slowdown and a little bit of lack of defense can really it can change. It could be a big deal. I mean, I, and if I, can, if, I can, if I know I'm going to hit their Husk on a particular turn, I can name Husk. Um, that's also a big a big thing too, right? Um, so yeah. I, I do think that it could 
have some play Honestly, a play in I the don't deck. think of much is the uh, the husk removal of the husk. They can't defend that with can it. That can be huge. It, it's it's actually a pretty big play because if you name it, they cannot defend with it. They can do everything else with it, but guess what? It only does. It only defends. Defend. Yeah. Um, so so for our listeners, that's the shadow piece of equipment carrying husk blocks for six, then gives blood debt for the remainder of the game. Yes. I also think chain, uh, chain like chain of eminence has like some other like it's not just for you know against chain. Uh, I think it actually has some play against a couple of other decks as well. But I mean, I like an I I have had it played against me before Monarch actually was released. Um, when I was on Bravo and when I was on Viserai, and I will say. Yes, if they have it in hand when you're telegraphing particular attacks, it can be a little bit devastating. That being said, I don't think it's as crippling, and so I don't think it's worth it. Because the thing is, like, unless you are in a very particular tempo swing, um, if you name... So remember, remember how I talked about the tempo, right? So if you are the aggressor, if you're the aggro player, the amount of tempo you need to be taking away from them by playing this non-aggressive card needs to be equal to that of an attack, basically. So, you know, I view because of how much um, Seeds of Agony and other things do for Chain, that that is something that you could say, yes, you can gain more aggression through playing this one non-attack action card than by playing it. On the other hand, if you're just saying, oh, I'm going to slow down Bravo by a turn, honestly, Bravo probably doesn't care. Visceral might care a little more, but, you know, it just really depends yeah, on the deck. It depends. I feel like any any deck you're playing that doesn't block for at least three there, uh, if it doesn't have the equivalent of a block of three, that's how I think of it, uh, is that's probably where we should be at. Well, guys, we have talked for almost an hour here. I think we've given people a lot to think about. Any uh, any final comments before we move to the wrap up? Uh, just a usual shout out to um, you know our LGS um, Edmund Unplugged, um, and you know I've always mentioned you know we have lots of really good game stores, but I do want to like mention especially them this time just because you know they um, they've been such a great home for us and really supportive of the game and supportive of us even as a podcast so. It's Absolutely. Great to, so great to have them in our back corner. Honestly, I'm I'm gonna cover a little bit more about them today because they've done us a great favor here. Um, I'm gonna move into the thanks for listening portion. We'll be putting out bi-weekly content going forward. Want to engage with the community as we grow. We also, due to this, want to announce that once we hit a hundred likes and followers on our Facebook page, which is at Kadachi for three, and that's K O D A C H I F O R T H R E E. We'll be choosing somebody at random to win a box of Welcome to Raid Unlimited. We want to further reward those of you who actively listen to the cast and who have stuck with us through this entire hour. So you'll receive a second entry into the drawing if you comment on the post for this episode and or share this post from our Facebook page. I also want to note this giveaway was sponsored by Edmund Unplugged, so that kind of goes into Drayton's thank you there. They're our local gaming store, amazing supporter of the community, and uh, we'll have more to come probably from them as we hit later subscriber totals. So the more you support us, the more we can be able to do for you as well. They also make a really good burger. They oh, do. Yeah. So if you come to our Road to Nationals, burger it up. 
Uh, also, as of this week, we're officially on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher, making us available virtually everywhere now. YouTube channel and some more discussions and stuff to come. But thank you for listening. We've been Kadachi for three. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Flesh and Blood community. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please share us, leave us a like, or a review. If you want to engage with us directly, please find us on Facebook at Kadachi43. And remember, we are available for download on all major podcast providers. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, enjoy playing Flesh and Blood.